about you this weekend when I spent 26 hours in airports because one of the 15 airport line security lines that I went through, the woman that was in front of me in the line, she got asked if she wanted to go into a private room because they needed to pat her down. And you started laughing, didn't you? Yep. <laughs> I thought of Johnny, you. I should have tipped that she, guy. I mean, he was aggressive. She also said no, by the way. And I was thinking, ah, you're going to regret you that. Probably, but I, I said I not about to this, tell her. About a week and a half ago, you might want to consider. I still can't believe I dropped a blue parrot on the air. Anybody who lives in Hartford, Connecticut from like 1998, man, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And that, that joint, there's a body count in there. That's why James Steele isoed it and played right it again. Let's be James, honest. James, am I lying? Am no, no, I no. lying? Well, first of all, that was all Rachel. I had nothing to do with <laughs> okay. it. It's Rachel. She's the one who, the mastermind behind that one. And uh, I, I, I can't tell you that I know what the blue parrot is. Sorry. Be glad. That, that sounded genuine. Look at you, James Steele. Yes. A good guy. I've only Amber, been up here for like, yeah, like 12 years or something. So It may have gone out of business by then. And you were married. And I was married. Amber. Correct. And yeah. let's, let's. <laughs> Let's go down that path. You're a good guy. Let's just keep on moving. Amber and Ian. I don't know. It's on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance, something that Progressive doesn't want to be anywhere near. Uh, let's talk about week one. You might need in, insurance. In the NFL, we have talked about <laughs> nothing but Monday night football on tonight's show so far. But there were other games over the weekend. I mean, it was a heck of a slate in week one. And then I think ended up, Looking a lot sloppier than maybe we expected when we were looking at the monster onslaught that was coming our way for week one. Yeah, there's a lot of teams, and and we talked to Andrew Hawkins about this earlier, who spent a lot of years in the NFL, and this is going to happen every single year. And I think you're going to start to see more teams do what squads like the Miami Dolphins did, you know, and the LA Chargers did. And you look at, you know, Mahomes played in the preseason. Obviously, he was missing Travis Kelsey. Now, that, that's his whoopee. That's, that's his, you know, it, it's like Linus's blue blanket, right? But you saw a lot of, of sloppy football. Titans, Saints, Bengals, Eagles, Seahawks, New York Giants, the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know what I mean? It was ugly. And it reminded me of back in the day when you had four preseason games, the final preseason tune-up was preseason game number three. And you saw guys playing a whole half. Some, some teams, three quarters of football, just to get a rhythm and to get that rust out and shake the rust out of those pads before you actually hit the field. Well, now week one is preseason game number three back in the day. And you saw it. I mean, it was evident. It was sloppy, ugly football. I'd say probably across 60% of the league. It, it, it looked like preseason ball. All the penalties, you know, self-inflicted wounds. Mm-hmm. It just looked out of sync. So, and the under hit in like almost every game in the early window. I think the over hit in most games in the, in the afternoon window, but a much sl- smaller slate. So that also, when you have scoring down that much, that also shows you as well that, you know, defense is ahead of the offense because it felt like preseason game number three back in the day. In the early window, I was on a four-hour long flight, and all I did for that four hours was watch football. And I did have access to the NFL Network's, uh, whatever it's called, the ver- their version of the Red Zone channel. I can't keep it all straight. but So I was watching every game, and then, of course, also the games themselves that I had access to through the plane cable. And I thought, man, this one o'clock window ain't what we were hoping it was going to be because a lot of the games were so sloppy, like you said, and a lot of it – 
was pretty ugly football. But let's talk about what we did see because you just mentioned some of the uglier things that we saw when you rattled off some of those teams. The Dallas Cowboys looked excellent. The New York Giants did not. (laughs) That game. 40 to zip. The Cowboys beat the Giants. Think about this. And and we talked about this briefly last night, but Dak Prescott has now won 11 straight games against the Giants. Mm Mm-hmm. That ties Roger Staubach for the longest win streak by a starting quarterback against the Giants since 1950. Let that sink in. And that was the largest shutout margin of victory by the Cowboys in their historic franchise history. 42 nada. And you talk about looking like preseason game number three. The Giants looked like it was, you know, they were in OTAs. They looked like they forgot that the season had started. Like, they didn't even show up. Oh, my goodness. That was unbelievable. unbelievable. And then in another dominant performance, look at San Francisco. And everybody was wondering, well, was Brock Purdy a flash in the pan? Uh, Hello. That dude can play, apparently. That dude is the answer. I don't know why he was Mr. Irrelevant. We know nothing. Scouting means absolutely nothing. No one knows anything about how and who is going to be good at the quarterback position. That's what we've learned through the Brock Purdy experience because, boy, did they get lucky. In his first six starts by 104 total points. So poised, so good. And then let's get to your Dolphins. Okay, well, hold on real quick before we move on so quick, because I also thought the Steelers were interesting. Like, Kenny Pickett looked good in the preseason. That dude did not look good in week one. Now, some of that's the 49ers D. Yeah, and some of it's also, again, vanilla looks in preseason football. Right. And you go back, you talk to Danny Cannell had a great story years ago how he did, he was just balling out in the preseason. And he's like, man, I'm, oh, I'm, I can't wait. I'm, I'm, and then all of a sudden it's, what the hell was that look? Right. I mean, what are they throwing at me right here? I mean, it, it is whole, it, and he he owns it. It's absolutely hilarious. You know, when he was playing for the New York Giants. So, preseason ball is completely different. And Kenny Pickett looked great in the preseason. The key word there, preseason. Yeah. It, it felt like I mean, obviously he's been playing in the NFL, but it felt like one of those like welcome to the NFL moments. You know, like bleep just got real, real when you're against this San Francisco 49ers defense. Okay, let's get to my Dolphins. Enough stalling. I, I, they, they outlasted the Chargers, 36 to 34. What but what's important here, James, giving me the look here in the Zoom, this is, is the that only reason why they you looked to do like this, you're, you're the just, best you're offense like in the NFL. Itching. You know what offense looks better than the Kansas City Chiefs coming off of week one, James? The Miami Dolphins and Tyreek Hill. You miss them? Do you miss them, buddy? You starting to miss them? Maybe my take from last season will actually be right this season. No, you know what I don't miss is uh, having two Super Bowls in the past four years. That's a trump card. You can't can't top that one. But to your point, Tua, dear Lord, I mean, let this this sink in. I mean, it it was literally a historic performance. 536 total yards. Mm -hmm. That is the most in a season opener in franchise history. Just bask over this, everything I'm about to say. Tua passed for the fourth most yards ever in a season opener. That's not Miami history. That's NFL history to the tune of 466. Tyreek Hill had his third most receiving yards ever in the NFL in a season opener. And Tyreek had his third career game with at least 10 catches, 200 yards, and two touchdowns. That is the most in NFL history in a game that happened to have seven different lead changes. That, by far, bar none, was the most interesting, entertaining captivating game of week one in a two-point dub on the road for, my, for your fish. At least before Monday night. 
<laughs> Even Monday then, night, I mean, look, Monday night was changes. wild. But you're right. It was the best. It was the, the best game. Like last night, you couldn't script last night. I mean, it's so poetic that the NFL has this whole, you know, you couldn't script this. You couldn't make this stuff up. And as we head into Monday night football, and boy, if you did script it, you couldn't write it better and funnier than it went last night where we all spent the entire offseason and preseason talking way too much about Aaron Rodgers and then only four snaps in and he goes down. And then it's Zach Wilson they have to rely on, which is comical for so many reasons. But then they end up winning in the end and the way that they win an OT on a punt return. I mean, the whole thing. So... Well, that game last night might have rivaled it. Housing <laughs> the punt. I, I, that's, I mean, it's just unbelievable the way that went. But you're right. Dolphins Chargers was an insane game. And those stats you just read off to me about my Dolphins, you've never sounded sexier. <laughs> it's just the truth. The other my work wife, the, the, <laughs> la- the landscape in the, well, I mean, your wife might think that you sounded sexy or some other time. That's the sexiest I've ever heard you sound. All right. So let's talk about some of these other games around the NFL. The Tampa Bay Bucks beat the Minnesota Vikings. Baker. Could he be having a resurgence here? Yeah. Look, I've, I've always been a fan of Baker Mayfield and the, his biggest problem when he was in Cleveland is this last year there. He wasn't playing hurt. He played injured. And a lot of times a coaching staff and a medical staff have to protect the player from himself. And he didn't. And especially when he wrecked that shoulder again against Arizona, when JJ Watt just slammed into the ground and that AC joint, I mean, and it looked like his shoulder popped out of place. He was already in the harness. He's already taking Toradol shots for it. You know, and the confidence was gone, mm-hmm. you know, and he goes to Carolina and that was just a mess. Ugly. Had a few moments where all of a sudden he went, all right, that looked like the quarterback in L.A. with the Rams yeah. that we saw go on the road with Cleveland and win a playoff game against the Steelers, and then the next week almost beat Mahomes and the Chiefs at Arrowhead. So you saw some flashes there, and that's why the Bucks took a chance on him. And, hey, look, one of those one and oh. He didn't put up gaudy numbers, but he managed the game to a win, and that's all you want right now. A 21 of 34, 173 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions for Baker Mayfield. I feel like if you're the Bucks, that's all you're asking for. Uh, the Bengals go down to the Browns, mm-hmm. talking about a resurgence. I mean, the Browns – now, this was an ugly game because of the weather, but it was such a sloppy game because of all the rain. But, man, it was weird to see the Bengals have absolutely no offense. 82 yards for Joe Burrow. Yeah, say that again, right? 82, 82 passing yards. yards. On the other hand, Deshaun Watson, 16 of 29, 154 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Not lighting the world on fire, but when you consider the competition, I mean, it was well, it was a it, bizarre game. Amber, when you have Miles Garrett doing like this little basketball crossover between the center and the guard, like, which way am I going? He's standing up, not even a three-point stance, and the mm-hmm. next thing you know, it hits the gap and, and then sacks Burrow. Mm-hmm. That's just like that's that's unfair. It's that's, weird that's too just because taunting your the other the, your your rival <laughs> and showing him up to the nth degree. So look, Deshaun didn't play exceptionally well. I mean, it was he, he was he was okay. Yeah, he was fine. But, but that Cleveland defense, yeah, damn, it looked good. They looked real good. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian is Texas back. We'll get into that. Amber and Ian's on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is on the ESPN app.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle tonight la quinta tomorrow you shine book direct at lq.com at ian fitz is how you find him at ian fitz espn rather that's how you find him if you ever leave espn that could be problematic i mean i know you've been here for a very long time i'm just <laughs> saying you might want to consider that at amber w sports i guess it doesn't matter anymore because the whole problem with that ian used to be that you'd, you'd lose your verified status you'd lose your blue check when you change your name. So if you put your employer in your name and then you ever changed companies, then you were screwed because you'd lose your verified set. None of us are verified anymore, probably, right? I didn't on care back then when I was and don't care now. If I could leave <laughs> X, Twitter, whatever, I mean, I would in two seconds. I mean, I left Facebook years ago and you talk about one of the best things I've ever done. I mean, like I had one of my really good friends, they were on a family vacation and they're like, oh, we're at the beach now. Look how great we are. Oh, I had such a great time. Two days later, file for divorce. I'm like, this is such a farce. I mean, are you kidding me? I left that day. I'm like, that's it. I'm out of here. I mean, I'm gone. What a farce. Look how great my life is and my marriage is and my kids. And everyone's perfect and everything's perfect. I didn't know I had an Instagram account. I had no idea. I had no clue. So my daughter's like, Dad, you got to be on the gram. I guess my daughters did. Yeah, you got to be on the gram. I'm like, what the hell's the gram? I mean, my 83 year old father is on Instagram. Well, I am now. My so daughters are, are running the account. So your 83 you year old co-host is on Instagram too. You just, <laughs> <Right. didn't know. laughs> just did not know it. My father more active apparently than Ian Fitz. Now, my 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 father doesn't like post on Instagram. He does on Facebook. My dad's all about Facebook. I think that. That that fits the billing, though. But he's on Instagram so that he can see us on Instagram. So he can watch, particularly before the stories used to go over to Facebook. Now it's a whole thing. I don't know. Social media. It's it's a full-time job, uh, not necessarily one that I enjoy. Amber and Ian is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Let's do what we always do. Is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? It's making headlines. Extra, extra, read all about it. But is it a big deal? Or not a big deal with Amber and Ian. And James Steele. He's our producer. Hello, James. Hello. Uh, big deal, not a big deal that your co-host and dad are apparently the same age. <laughs> okay. When let's move on. Social media. Yep. <laughs> All right. On Saturday, Quinn Ewers and the 11th ranked Texas Longhorns beat third ranked Alabama 34 to 24. Ian, Texas is back. Big deal, not a big deal. They are not back yet. And they, and look, I'm going to be brutally honest. Uh, the the offensive line and defensive line for Texas, that's where this game was decided. Everyone's going to talk about Quinn Ewers and Xavier Worthy, and they, like, they were sensational. But Texas was the more physical football team at Bryant-Denny, at night. That was – I couldn't believe what I went back and when I saw on Monday because obviously I was on, calling a game at the exact same time. 
I, I was mesmerized. But my the most impressive thing to me, James and Amber, was when Quinn Ewers was asked a question by Holly Rowe, and it was a well phrased question, basically asking you know very open about what does it say about your football team, and he didn't take the bait. He said it says that we're hey, we got another game next week. We can win this one, but we got another. We're, we're back at it again next week. And every person in that locker room did not take the "Is Texas back?" bait. That was impressive, especially with two and zero Wyoming coming in that just beat Texas Tech two weeks ago. Is Texas back? We'll have the conversation. Is Miami back? These <laughs> schools that we perpetually have the conversation year in and year out. Are they back? But I will say this is a big deal. Despite the fact that that is a premature conversation once again, it is a big deal because Texas dominated Alabama in just about every single category. Alabama, in terms of penalties, it was ugly. It was a lot. Slop, obviously, multiple interceptions there for Alabama as well. And then you mentioned Quinn Ewers. I mean, 24, 38, 30. 349 yards, three touchdowns. He looked great. It's always a big deal when you beat Nick Saban's team. Even a bigger deal if you can do it in Tuscaloosa. So, yes, this was a big deal. I forgot to answer that part. Sorry, I agree with you. <laughs> All right. He asked me Texas was back, and I went that route. I forgot I like to answer actually, the big deal, not a big deal. This might be deal. the first time we're actually doing big deal, not a big deal on Amber and Ian, right? Maybe. We've done it on Amber. I mean, we were doing it a lot on Joe and Amber. But, We've probably uh, been together, so. Yeah, well, and that's true. So, you know, Ian's sure. got to he's got to get his feet wet here. He'll, he'll right. do better. So, we're less <laughs> than a year out from the 2024 yeah. Olympics, and the U.S. is coming off of a disappointing fourth-place finish at the FIBA World Cup on Sunday. But there might be some good news. It seems like LeBron James, who is a two-time gold medalist, is interested in a, uh, one more Olympic uh, one more Olympic run, so much so that he's ready to commit for next summer, and it's called multiple stars to essentially recruit them to join him in Paris. Uh, multiple sources told The Athletic, Amber, LeBron wants to one more Olympic run. Big deal or not a big deal? Yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big deal because you're talking about a player who is pushing 40 years old in LeBron James, right, at some point here. I, a player is certainly at the tail end of an unbelievable Hall of Fame basketball career so it's a big deal it's a big deal when you have the guy who was the greatest player in his generation if he's even if he's not necessarily the greatest player in the NBA currently but his interest in it his interest alone Ian and not to mention the fact that he still plays basketball at an unbelievably elite level but just having his presence the attraction that brings to these guys wanting to participate wanting to participate in the events the Paris games the events that lead up to the Olympics to get them ready for the Olympics all of that heightens when LeBron James is in, I think it's a big deal. I could not agree with you more. I think it's an extraordinarily big deal. And you know what? Carmelo Anthony loved playing for Team USA. Embraced every moment of it. So when you have guys like that, generational type talents that are wanting to go put the stars and stripes on one more time, I think it's a, 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 a yes. Hell yes, it's a big deal. And I love it. Uh, Pittsburgh Pirates third baseman Cabrian Hayes pleaded with Major League Baseball on Sunday to institute the automated ball strike ABS system, robot umps, after an obvious miscall and some subsequent conversation with a human umpire. The call took place during Sunday's game against the Braves uh, with the plate umpire Bill Miller calling a strike on a pitch that wasn't a strike. Uh, Hayes was starting toward first base after flipping his bat back for what he thought was a walk. After chatting with Miller, he went back to retrieve his bat. Hayes struck out on the next pitch. 
Uh, Hayes said he attempted to discuss the call with Miller after the game, and he shared his side of the conversation on social media. Quote, some umpires really don't care. 3-1 call, not even close. I hold him accountable after the game, walking off the field, and his response is, shrug emoji, I gave you a chance to hit a home run. That tells me you don't care at all. No accountability. Bring the ABS, please, at MLB. Ian, players calling for robot umpires. Big deal, not a big deal. Not a big deal because it ain't going to happen anytime soon. And if you want to bitch about uh, balls and strikes, go ask the Cleveland Indians how they feel about losing a World Series to the Florida Marlins when Eric Gregg had a strike zone the size of the state I live in. So it's been going on for a long time. It's part of the game. You know, one guy complaining about it on a bad baseball team, to me, not a big deal. I would say that it's a big deal because they are testing it. I mean, they're testing ABS at the AAA level this year. This is a change that we've seen across the other sports as well. Yes, it has always been part of the game. That doesn't mean that it should always be part of the game. There's a lot of things about sports that we improve over time. This would be one of them. Having the technology that we didn't once have in baseball to get these things right. There was a reason that human error was such a prevalent portion of the game. It had to be. Now, it doesn't have to be. And frankly, it's just stupidity because you have another way of doing this. Hayes, his father played in Major League Baseball. It was a different day. It was a different era. I support him in calling for advancement here. Get things right. Why not? Let's utilize some technology. Get on IG, Ian Fitzsimmons. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Another big week in college football. We have to react, and of course, for that, we bring in ESPN and SEC Network college football analyst Cole Kublick. And Cole, thanks again for your time. As always, Texas, they got it done. 34-24 over Bama this year. Is Bama in trouble? I think that probably depends on your definition of trouble, which most Alabama fans would be, are they going to make the playoff, potentially win the national championship? And if that's your definition, then yeah, probably. Uh, I think this is a pretty big fork in the road moment. For this Alabama team, I'm I'm not stepping out on that ledge to say program just yet, like some people are. But there are some big decisions that are going to have to come here in the near future that will determine whether or not they can compete for an SEC West title, maybe an SEC championship, or – potentially make the college football playoff. I think offensive identity is going to be big. I think a quarterback decision moving forward, manage that, and if you go one way or the other. And then, two, just defensively, are you going to be able to make some adjustments that are going to prevent teams from doing some of the things down the field that Texas was able to do? If not, it's not really going to matter. You're not going to compete for some of those championships we mentioned. So I think it's possible. Uh, They still have the talent to compete with most teams in college football. There are just a few things that they've – weren't able to put together in Texas, and looks like they could be a little problematic down the road. Check them out on Read and React on the SEC Network with Roman Harper. If you want to dive deep into some film, that is about as good as it gets. Cole Kublick here with us on ESPN Radio. And Cole, after you watched the film, what stood out to you about the Texas Longhorns? Because to me, just watching it, man, that defensive line was nasty for Texas. What stood out to you? So it was the offensive line, Ian. What stood out is they beat Alabama up. No, it doesn't happen very often. No. Nope. Uh, we, we, we do not see many teams 
over the last 12 years that have taken the fight to Alabama and, and been the team that we felt like had the advantage physically. Texas did. Their offensive line was more physical. Their defensive line was more physical. They won the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Alabama's front seven had very little impact on the game. Alabama's offensive line was not able to neutralize things or impose their will, really in any shape, form, or fashion at all. And because of that, I think Texas was able to, to pull off the win the way that they did. I mean, not only did the teams not go into Bryant-Denny Stadium and beat an Alabama coach, uh, or Nick Saban coached Alabama team in, but how many of them are kneeling on the ball with a couple minutes left and, and milking that thing out? And that's how, they're, that's how they, they put their explanation point on it. I mean, I'm, that almost never happens. So they were in control of that game. It's, and, and physicality was the main reason they were able to do it. That's why the play-action shots were there for Quinn Ewers. That's why the receivers got man coverage down the field. And Sark drew up an amazing game plan. College football analyst Cole Kublik joining us here on Amber and Ian. So, Cole, a few weeks through the college football season, what is, who is the best team that you've seen so far? I'm still going to say Georgia. And a lot of that is because they have better players at more positions. But I do find it interesting that there are a lot of folks that have so much concern about Georgia. And I've, I've seen Carson Beck make some really nice throws. He has, he has proven, and I know he hasn't gone out and thrown the ball you know, 48 times in, in multiple games, but he's proven to me that from an ability standpoint, he's got it. And I thought he looked at just a little bit more in command, a little bit more poised running that offense last week. I understand the level of competition, so we're, we're, we don't need to go too far down that road. But outside of running back, they've got a plethora of weapons that are on par with just about anybody. Defensively, uh, the D-line is not what it has been, but it doesn't mean it's not good. Their linebackers are on par ahead of it. is going to cover up a lot this football season. So it's hard for me not to say Georgia. I don't think they have the most impressive resume. That would belong to Texas or Florida State. So I, I think those would probably be the two teams that I would bring up next just because of what they're capable of doing. I, 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 can't, I can't give USC that vote. Uh, I don't know if Washington has been tested enough just yet to be able to say that, but I do love that team and love how they react, love how they play. Uh, I watched the USC offensive film last night on the plane ride home, and honestly, I, I could not believe what I was seeing. Um, it, it honestly didn't look real. I mean, it, it was like something that, was, that had been drawn up in a cartoon, and that has nothing to do with Southern California and everything to do with the defense that they were playing. To see a proud program fall that far that fast was honestly just disappointing to see what Stanford had on the field defensively. So they haven't really been tested either. There are a lot of teams that we just don't know enough about right now, and I think there's a, a little bit of a misnomer that, you know, oh, the portal is evening things out, and the portal is keeping uh, you know, letting teams be more competitive. I think some of that's true, but I think the two biggest things that are happening in the portal right now is, one, we lack continuity for a lot of football teams that normally we may have at this point in the season. I have an idea I think it's, it's disallowing certain teams, the power players, to pull even further like they've been able to do in the past. So Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, those teams are not just able to be on a completely different stratosphere than what we're normally seeing the rest of college football be on because other teams have been able to add some of those guys. So I think a lot of people look at it as, oh, it's just making everybody better. It's even the playing field. I think it's just keeping some of the big boys from walking further away from everybody else, and that's the portion of it that makes it a little more competitive. Aaron Rodgers gets hurt last night, and it was a field turf-type monster that got him and, and tore that Achilles. So 
you've played at a high level. You're on a field turf on some weekends like I am where if I'm on field turf, I mentioned this earlier and people think I'm nuts. Amber looked at me like I was an alien, <laughs> but, but when you're on field turf, I, I got to pop three or four Advil, man. Cause my lower back hurts after walking on it for seven hours. If I'm on a grass field, I don't need a damn thing, Cole. So when you, if, when you talk about player safety and you hear the, the words field turf and what you saw last night with another soft tissue injury, this time to Aaron Rodgers, what's your reaction? I just I don't know why the players haven't gone further with this to essentially just demand grass be back. And I, I do know that, unfortunately, cost has a lot to do with it. And you think about the amount of – especially that stadium, when you have two professional teams that are playing there, you know, that's it's going to be much more cost-prohibitive cost to have a field that all they got to do is, you know, run their little tractor with the thing they're pulling behind it over to, like, redo the pellets or whatever. But – instead of have actually guys that are going out there managing that grass. But, I, you know, the next time there's a collective bargaining agreement that's coming up or next time, you know, I'll be going to my player rep in my locker room saying, what do we have to do to put up a bigger fight for this? Because we don't want to play on this anymore. I've walked on it. You've walked on it. I've walked on it before where I've mean, been to the point that the little artificial grass isn't even sticking up anymore. It's just you're basically playing football on, on chewed up tires. The little black pellets is all you're playing on. So it just it, it never has felt – extremely safe now that i mean is it better than astroturf of course but man no there's nobody that would prefer playing on that than grass in my mind to be clear i looked at ian like he was an alien because he was telling me that he was popping for advil before walking walking <laughs> not playing in the game walking on the sidelines cole that's why espn and sc amber i will say for somebody yeah. that's been doing twenty thousand steps a day for like the last two or three months uh-huh. Um, I surprise myself how sore I am from walking sometimes. And trust me, it, <laughs> it, it does you. not give me a lot of confidence. I will, I will admit that. <laughs> I want to hug you right now. ESPN and SEC college football analyst Cole Kublik joining us here on Amber and Ian. So, Cole, I asked you who the best team was. You went with Georgia, the obvious. Who's the most surprising team to you so far? Um, I'm going to probably say Texas A&M. So I'm not going to give that to you in a positive way. I, I thought the talent would override a lot of the issues that we saw against Miami. And, and I want to first credit Miami with being one of the few teams that I've seen in college football this year that really does play like their hair's on fire. And I think there has been a massive separation of teams that when you watch them, they really play hard and they really play aggressive. And they play mean kind of old school football. Um, there's not a lot of teams that are doing that right now. I don't know if it's buy-in. I don't know if it's guys getting checks. I don't know if kids just don't care a lot of times, but there's not a lot of teams that play that way. That Miami team does. I, I, I didn't anticipate that there would be those kind of struggles this early in the season for an A&M group that had a quarterback that had played, an offensive line that, for the majority of which had played football together, a defensive line that should be dominant, and a group of receivers that had all been out there making catches for two, three years now. Um, that one surprised me. And it, it wasn't just going down to Miami. There's a lot of talent on that team, and you're on the road. But it was the way that it happened and the lack of adjustments that I saw along with it. So uh, I thought that would be a team that would be in a lot of high-profile games across the course of this season because of how talented that roster was and some of the coaches that they added. But, man, that, that was disappointing the way that that one looked for Texas A&M. The Canes got that one done 48-33 to over the Aggies. Cole Kublik, you can watch him on the SEC Network. Also, of course, all over ESPN. Check out Read and React with Roman Harper on the SEC Network along with Cole Kublik. Cole, thanks so much. I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, man.
uh, by the way, that read and react. Awesome. Excellent. Oh, seven o'clock Eastern SEC network every Monday hit record and go into a deep dive of football. It's, it's, it, it really, they've done a remarkable job with that thing. And I agree with them on Miami. You mentioned it earlier and you're spot on. College football is better when the Texas's of the world, when the Miami's of the world are with the, the elite of the elite, those blue bloods. Mm-hmm. And they haven't been for a long time. And man, that A&M Miami game, A&M now licking their wounds because Aggie does what Aggie does. And Miami, one of those two teams was going to come out feeling really good about themselves, and the other one was going to go, damn, here we go again. Well, Aggie, damn, here we go again. Miami, feeling really good about themselves. Mm -hmm. It felt like a real test there for Miami, and they passed the test. Other teams that passed the test this weekend, Notre Dame over NC State. In a monsoon. Yeah. Yeah, in the monsoon. Utah beat Baylor. Colorado got it done again. This Dude. time against Nebraska. Hey, uh, my apologies are up. I, I, I said before the season began, if Coach Prime and, and the Buffaloes, if he wins four games, he's coach of the year. He's halfway there, and we're coming into week three. I he's going to get his third this weekend. Uh, it's, it's truly, truly Ooh. wild. Traeger is awesome. This Saturday, enjoy the one-of-a-kind wood-fired flavor on a Traeger Ironwood XL from Home Depot. Coming up next, we love to tell stories here on Amber and Ian. Let's get into some story time. Rolling along here on Amber and Ian. Amber and Ian presented by Progressive Insurance. Find him at Ian Fitz ESPN. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. I'm coming off of quite the weekend. Quite the weekend of traveling. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with my life. So we have developed while well, our board op, Rachel really has developed a little segment that we like to call where in the world is, is me. Where in the world is Amber Wilson. It really is great. Energy. Excellent job. Excellent job by Rachel and James. So where in the world am I? Well, I'm here now. I'm back in Sarasota, Florida. I'm back home. But I was in Las Vegas for like 24 hours because that's the smart move is to fly across the entire country and three time zones to only be in Vegas for 24 hours. And then and then the move, Ian, is when you're coming off of Vegas, you should go straight to Nashville because that's how you wind things down. May I ask one question? Sure. Because your travel woes, you know, for people just tuning in, we wait till you hear this one. Now, a lot of people can relate to what you went through on Friday. It was a good plan. You, you had basically a, a half plan. a Friday, Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night, and leave early Sunday morning, right? Mm-hmm. Plan was good. That was the plan. But why Vegas then to Nashville? Was this, was this the whole birthday crew going from Vegas to Nashville? No, it was, no, no, no. In fact, it was only two of us that did that. No, it was because we had to fly. We were flying southwest from here to get to Vegas and Nashville is a Southwest hub. So we had to connect through Nashville on the way back to get back home. So you just said to hell with it, stay for a night. So and we then, just said, okay. yeah, let's I extend that All puppy. Right. Let's make this like an extra long layover. I love Nashville. It's a great I've been city. known to on Broadway. So I'm like, all right, let's just, you know, we'll stay for a night. We'll get dinner at our, at our favorite Mexican restaurant. That's right there on Broadway Blanco. And, and we'll hit up some of the bars. And that's what we ended up doing. But the Vegas portion of things did not at all go as planned because we were supposed to get there, like Ian just said, with half a day 
left in our day to go enjoy things Friday afternoon, Friday night, do Vegas, and then get an opportunity to do it the next day, see Adele in concert, which was the whole reason that we were going there, and then fly out. A couple nights in Vegas, that's fine. You know, three nights, I think, is the ideal Vegas trip, but two nights is fine. I didn't even get that because we got so delayed and so delayed and so delayed that by the time I finally got there, it was two or three in the morning Eastern. And I had started my day trying to fly out in the morning Eastern time. So it was the longest day I've had flying domestically. And that's saying a lot because I've had a lot of travel woes, a lot. (laughs) And that Sarasota airport, that regional airport, there's not a lot of like, it's not like you can just go sit down and Hunker down to a nice meal and a and a and a you know a, a nice you know Tito's vodka martini up three olives please for the Father Son Holy Ghost my, my, can we please take off anytime soon right no. but I did by the way I did I did find myself drinking a martini in the Sarasota airport at two p.m. Oh. I went back outside security I was I told my girlfriend I said I know there is a bar because that the whole so airport good. was an absolute insane and there ain't nothing in that airport anyways and that's always the rub when you're flying out of small airports. I'm sure people can relate to this, right? That's always the the conversation in my head because Tampa is obviously close to me as well. Now, Tampa from my house, the airport's like an hour and a half. Tampa's about an hour from my house. The airport, though, ends up being probably like an hour and a half drive with traffic. So I'm always considering, do I f- drive the hour and a half to Tampa to fly direct somewhere, right, out of the much busier airport, or do I just fly out of Sarasota, which is 20 minutes from my house and has no security lines? And so I'm always debating, well, this time opting for the Sarasota portion of things was a terrible decision because then we ended up spending, it was six and a half hours, I think I ended up in the Sarasota airport, and there's nothing there. But I did know that because the airport was an absolute zoo because every single flight out of this small airport was canceled or rescheduled every single one because it was weather that was the problem so it was an absolute zoo however nobody goes back out of security when those things happen and at that airport you can go back through security because the line's not insane so I told my girlfriend hey we need to go back outside of security because there's another bar on the outside I bet nobody's there because the places that were inside, you couldn't, I mean, the lines were an hour long. And so we went back outside. There was Veteran nobody sitting move. at the bar, walked up to the bar. It was like 2 p.m. at this point. I'd already had an unbelievably long day. They had tried to reroute us at this point through Houston, through Chicago, and through Baltimore. And we were running out of options. And I sat down and I drank a dirty martini straight up. And then I went back into the- in through security. And all of a sudden on my app, a flight popped up through Nashville And I waited in a really long line and I thought that it was the alcohol that was getting to me. Like, was I seeing things? Cause nobody had offered me this option through Nashville, but alas, I was able to buy the ticket and get on that flight. And so I made it to Vegas. Back to honky tonk. There you go. Honky tonk. You know, the universe wanted me, wanted me in Nashville. They were going to make sure that I got there. So I got there. So that is where I have been. And that's my story from the weekend. Let's hear Ian's. It's story time. With Ian Fitzsimmons. Oregon at Texas Tech in West Texas. Lubbock, Texas. And look, you I mean they play some football out there in West Texas now. It's tumbleweeds and dust storms, and they can go after it. They get a heart and they go harder than the average bear. That's a sleeper college town. It really is. And by the way, on a football note, you better get Joey McGuire and the Red Raiders right now because they should be 2 0. He's, he's building something out there. So if you're going to get them, get them now. But we were asking, you know, Coach Mack and a few others, hey, where do we go 
on Friday night. I love going to local college haunts in college towns. And it was Kegel's Steak and Barbecue. You pull up to this ranch. It's about 10 miles outside of Lubbock, and it's a ranch. And you've got a barn over here, you know, and you've got a bar over here and another bar over here and the main dining room and then the dance hall. I mean, it is badass. And we got in there and, I mean, we're walking up and Kelly Stauffer just stops and goes, oh, yeah. I mean, it's just a smell of beer, bourbon, barbecue, Chanel. Let's go. I mean, it's un- <laughs> it's this is college football, right? We get in there and they just start throwing food at us: the smoked sausage, the brisket. I mean, the the homemade from scratch mac and cheese was like to I'd have bathed in it. The ribeye steak, damn, it it, it was ridiculous. We walked out of there. We didn't really walk. We waddled. <laughs> the next morning, our, our hotel was right across from this place called the Pancake House. It's mm-hmm. been there since like 1912. Well, after Kegels, which was amazing. I mean, you talk about meat sweats at Thanksgiving, right? When you eat too much turkey, you know, and you get the meat sweats. Our crew, I swear to you, I saw I sent a group text out going, hey, anybody want to walk across the street to the Pancake House about 8 a.m.? No. Now, how can you eat right now? Hell no. No, no. Don't bother me right now. I mean, everyone was in a, still in a food coma. What does my fat butt do? I've got to go try this joint. I got an early flight on Sunday. There's no way I'm not walking 20 yards to a place called the Pancake House. It's been there since like the, the since the Civil War, right? So I'm like, I'm heading over. I was still so full from the night before. All I did was get one homemade sausage patty, one egg and one pancake. I could only eat half the pancake, but it was amazing. But my favorite part about the pancake house, these two Oregon Duck fans walk in and the owner, Jim Bob or whatever his name is, looks at these two fans, looks them up and down like, and he goes, come on. Ah. <laughs> like disgusted that he was going to allow these two people into his restaurant. But those are two... Awesome college haunts, and it was a hell of a weekend. It ended with the meat sweats the day after.